turning to the book of Philippians, and Paul would write these words. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, as we bow before you, we come to you in the name of of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, God who became man and humbled himself and took upon himself what we deserve. Lord, thank you for our salvation this day. And Father, as we come before you, we want to praise you. We want to worship you by giving you our attention. May you find our worship worthy, please, in what we sing, in what is said from this pulpit, in how we listen, and then how we surrender our lives back to you this day. Please bless in every aspect of our service, in every part of what we do this hour, May we sense the presence of God among us. May you smile upon what you see and hear. We ask that you would enable us now to devote our attention to the hearing of the Word of God and the praising you in song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You and I can hardly turn on a television set or a radio anymore and not hear religious broadcasting. Our whole lives we've taken it for granted. But that actually has been going on over the years because people behind the scenes have been working to make sure that legally we can do that and that right is protected in our country. The National Religious Broadcasters Association is an association made up of Christian communicators, and those groups represent millions of viewers, listeners, readers worldwide. Dear to our hearts, wisdom for the heart is a member of the National Religious Broadcasters, with our pastor Stephen Davey being a member of that, as well as in our church, many folks from Trans World Radio who attend here are also part of that organization, an organization that is used to expand opportunities for the gospel worldwide and to protect the rights and interests of Christian broadcasters, and they protect then the rights as legislation and regulatory items and laws are rolled out. The president and the chief executive officer of the National Religious Broadcasters Association is Dr. Frank Wright, and he is our speaker today. It is wonderful to have him here. He is an ordained elder in the Presbyterian Church, long history of involvement in ministry, 25 years with the ministries of Dr. D. James Kennedy. He is now in his 17th year working on Capitol Hill, working closely with congressmen, senators, influential staff, and at the highest levels of the administration. 
As I mentioned, he is an elder. He holds a Ph.D. in finance from Florida Atlantic University, now an elder at McLean Presbyterian Church in McLean, Virginia. He's also on the board and was a founding board member of a crisis pregnancy center in Fort Lauderdale, where he also served as the president of that board for years. Serves on the board of various Christian organizations like Knox Theological Seminary, Evangelism Explosion, Coral Ridge Ministries Media, and on and on it goes. God has used him greatly. It is said of him, someone wrote, that few people in America share his blend of executive presence, practical ministry experience, and significant influence in the quarters of power in Washington. He won't tell you this, but I've had to pry some things out of him. For seven years, he worked with congressmen and senators and worked privately with many of them in Bible studies and prayer studies. And you mentioned a group, and he can maybe tell you about it, was Statesman. I won't get the title right, will I? Center for Christian Statesmanship in which he helped, actually worked in that and led that and led congressmen and others to the Lord, prayed with them. So God is using him in the halls of Washington greatly. Very, very influential instrument of the Lord, used by God greatly, and he's going to use him in our summer series in the pulpit of Colonial Baptist Church. Now, I don't mean to embarrass her, but in this service, his wife Ruth is with us. Where are you, Ruth? Where is she seated? Oh, and you can't get by that way. You've got to stand up, all right? So let's welcome Ruth and Dr. Frank Wright. Right. Amen, brother. Thank you, David. Well, David, thank you for that kind introduction. I love it when my wife has to stand up. She hates that. That's just a... <laughs> That's so much fun to watch. She's shaking her head now. It's a delight to be with you. I've heard so much about this church over the years. I really have. We have dear friends in the church. In fact, we stayed last night with our friends Trent and Nancy Landenberger out in Apex. Had a great time. You know, I was thinking, though, here I am, a Presbyterian elder in a Baptist church. You know, a good Presbyterian could get drowned in a place like this. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We drove down last night because the distance from our home to here is one of those awkward distances where the airport just doesn't work out too well, and that wonderful experience that we all have with the Transportation Security Administration, you know, so we drove down, but something didn't seem quite right, and we got two two or three stops down the um, interstate highway, and at the first rest stop, I pulled over, and I took my shoes off, and I had my wife pat me down, and then I felt better, (laughs) just seemed more normal, you know, after all that all the flying that I do. It is a delight to be here. Dr. Davey was kind to invite me to be one of the speakers in the Stepping Stone series. His ministry, Wisdom for the Heart, is a a member of the NRB. He's a member of the NRB. He's a member of the NRB President's Council, one of the most influential leadership groups within our association. He's a very gracious man. His ministry is reaching far and wide. And is a great example of what our association does. Takes the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond the four walls of the church to the uttermost parts of the earth to where literally we may see the command of Christ to preach the gospel to every nation fulfilled in our generation in some part because of uh, electronic media. So I'm delighted to be associated with him in that regard as well. Our text is 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, you might want to take it out and read with me. Second Sam, you know why? You know why I ask you to take the scripture out and read it along with me? 
It's not so that you can just read along. It's so that you make sure I get it right and I don't make some mistake. 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. For the sake of context, this is sometime after Saul and Jonathan were slain on the field of battle and David became king over Israel and he was consolidating his kingdom. And um, this is a passage that speaks to that, that very time frame. So if you'll read with me, 2 Samuel 9, beginning in verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands... His servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray together. Father, We thank you for this portion of your word. We ask that by your spirit you would open it to our hearts and minds that we might hear what you have to say to your people today. We pray, Father, that we would hear from you and not from a man who opens the words, that we would hear from the living God. Forgive the sins of the teacher, they are many. We ask, Father, that you would be pleased to lift up Christ before our watching and eyes and listening ears, that his name would ever be praised. Amen. At the beginning of the last century, early 1900s, one of the towering intellectual figures in British public life was Gilbert Keith Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton, we call him today. He was a journalist, a writer, a social critic, and he was quite the theologian as well. His books, uh, many of which are still widely available today, are some of my favorites. I reread every couple of years his book entitled Orthodoxy, a small but packed book full of spiritual wisdom, godly wisdom. 
I commend uh, Chesterton's writings to your attention. He was one of those, however, intellectual tour de force type of people, just so commanding and so, he had an opinion on absolutely everything. Do you know anybody like that? (laughs) But his opinions were usually pretty well grounded. And he had a wide range of friends in his literary circles, and once they asked him a question that maybe you've been asked or maybe you've thought about, and the question was this. What book would you like if you were to be cast adrift on a lonely Pacific island? You ever thought about that? You're stranded somewhere, you only have one book to read, what would it be? Well, one of Chesterton's friends, knowing him to be a religious man, said, I suppose you would choose the Bible. And Chesterton said, not this time. Another friend, knowing of his broad literary interest, said, I'd wager you'd pick Shakespeare. And Chesterton said, you would lose that wager. And they both said, well, what would you choose? And Chesterton smiled broadly and said, if I were cast adrift on a lonely Pacific island, the book that I would choose among all of the books in the world would be a book entitled, A Manual on How to Build a Ship. (laughs) A very practical man, G.K. Chesterton. He was practical, but he was also a devout Christian. And he was given this hypothetical situation here, and he said he would choose a manual on shipbuilding, but he would be quick to agree that for navigating life's turbulent waters, there's nothing that compares to the Bible. I thought of Chesterton's comment today because the passage that we're looking at is a passage that is both profound and practical. That's what Chesterton was, profound in his understanding, practical in his application. Let's begin, however, by reminding ourselves that the entire Old Testament speaks of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said as much in John chapter 5. He said, speaking to a group of Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify to me. And then later, when Jesus rose from the dead and he walked with the men on the road to Emmaus and revealed himself to them, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures concerning himself." In both of these cases, Jesus was talking about the Old Testament scriptures and how they speak of him. There was no New Testament when these words were spoken. And our text today is a powerful Old Testament foreshadowing of the person and work of Christ. Now in its context, as I mentioned, this is a historical narrative about the life of King David, of his newly begun reign as king of Israel. David was, of course, a fascinating biblical figure. When you add his psalms that he penned himself and all the other texts written about him, there is no one in the Old Testament mentioned more often than David. And even a casual reading of the scriptures shows us that David's life was a mix of great successes and great failures, wasn't it? Great successes, but also profound moral failings. David's failures point us to our need For David's greater son, the Savior who would come, the one whom the prophet Micah called, one who is to be ruler in Israel, 
whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. But David's successes help us see what kind of king the Savior would be. What kind of king the Savior would be. In his failures, we see our need for a Savior. In his successes, we see a great picture of the Savior. This is true because David is considered to be a type or a foreshadowing of Christ. Now, some people struggle with that a bit. How could someone so profoundly flawed like David and with his profound and public sin be considered a foreshadowing or a type of Christ? But consider these few aspects of David's life. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says about David that he was a man after God's own heart. And it also says about David that his aim was to know and to do the will of God. Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God. And David's defeat of Goliath was a picture of Christ defeating sin. So in many ways we can see that David's life was a picture, was a type, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. There are other things that we could point to, but I think this passage that we're looking at today shows this more profoundly than almost any other. So let's begin by noting that in this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we see both Christ and ourselves. We see ourselves in Mephibosheth, and we see Christ in David. Let's look first at Mephibosheth. The scripture says about him in verse 3 that he was physically crippled. And you can turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and find out how that happened. After Saul and Jonathan had been slain on the field of battle, Mephibosheth's nurse scooped him up in her arms to flee the city of Jerusalem. Mephibosheth was then only five years old. And it says that the nurse dropped him in such a way that he became lame in both of his feet. He could not walk normally. So Mephibosheth was physically crippled. But secondly, he was broken in spirit. Look at verse 8. What is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog as I? Is that sad? He was broken in spirit. Not only that, his name means, Mephibosheth means, one who scatters shame. What father would give their son that name, but Jonathan named Mephibosheth that way. But he was more than just physically and spiritually broken. He was the enemy of the king. Mephibosheth was a direct descendant of Saul, and some might argue that, humanly speaking, he had a rival claim to the throne of Israel. Now, David was anointed king at Hebron by Samuel, by God, David was the only legitimate king of Israel, but some, in the way power struggles work themselves out in human history, might have argued that Mephibosheth had a claim. And earthly kings have a very decided way of dealing with rival claims, don't they? The solution is usually death. And in my mind, that's probably what Mephibosheth thought was awaiting him when David called him from Lodabar to Jerusalem to stand before the king. Mephibosheth probably thought, this is it. I'm done for. And number four, Mephibosheth came before the king with nothing to offer him. He was physically crippled, spiritually broken, an enemy of the king, and came with nothing to offer him. What was he going to do? Say, David, make me one of your mighty men. I'll fight for you. He was lame in his feet. He had nothing 
to offer the king. He was incapable in himself of serving the king. And I want you to look with me about how we are just like Mephibosheth. At least we are apart from our relationship with Christ. First of all, we too are crippled. We were crippled in body, mind, and spirit by sin. We were in bondage to sin, in bondage to false desires, in bondage to our pride, in bondage to our pursuit of pleasure and the things of this world. Crippled by sin. And apart from Christ, we too were broken in spirit. The scripture says your sins separate you from God. We were made for a relationship with the Father. That relationship was broken. And that emptiness within us cries out. The great French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal said, There is within the heart of every man and woman a God-shaped void. A void, an empty space in the shape of God. Only God can fill it. And what do we do? We run through life, filling our life with stuff. Trying to fill an emptiness that can only be filled by God himself. We look for pleasure. We look for meaning in our relationships with others. We look everywhere for meaning and purpose. We look most of all for acceptance. I think you could empty out many of the doctor's offices that have to counsel patients who are mentally ill if they could only find acceptance. None of that works, though. None of that pursuit of these things works because our need is not of those things. Our need is of him. Our need is of a relationship with the Father. So, like Mephibosheth, we were crippled in our body, mind, and spirit, and crippled in, and broken in spirit, because of our separation from the Father. And then third, we too, apart from Christ, were enemies of the King. Enemies. Colossians chapter 1. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Philippians chapter 3. Unbelievers are called enemies of the cross. Romans chapter 5. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were enemies of God, just like Mephibosheth was an enemy of the king. And like Mephibosheth, apart from Christ, if we were to come into the presence of the king of kings, we could expect only death. Apart from the sacrifice of Christ, which opened the door to the throne room of God, we could not even begin to approach God. We have nothing to offer and nothing to expect but death. Now, in contrast to all this, consider David and the picture that we see in David of the Most High God. David intentionally reaches out to his enemy in order to show him kindness. The word kindness is mentioned three times in the passage, but the the English word kindness is a very pale shadow of the Hebrew word hesed. And the Hebrew word hesed means kindness, but it means far more than that. It means a covenant of love and faithfulness. David wanted to show, extend his covenant of love and faithfulness to Mephibosheth. Now, why did he want to do that? Well, the text tells us for the sake of Jonathan. David and Jonathan loved each other. They were like brothers. 
And you remember that great passage that took place 15 or 20 years earlier where Saul was seeking the life of David and Jonathan said, I will go before my father and if he's going to take your life, I'll come out after and shoot an arrow in the field, say some words, you'll understand what you need to do. He did all that and David and Jonathan came together and made a covenant of love and faithfulness with each other and their descendants. And then David and Jonathan separated and never saw each other again in this life. This covenant of love and faithfulness that David and Jonathan made in a field in the sight of God was the covenant that David was attempting to fulfill in Mephibosheth, fulfilling his covenant promise to Jonathan. And look specifically at what he was saying in fulfilling this promise. In verse 7, Do not fear... For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. If you look at this extension of grace that David makes to Jonathan's son, you'll see three, at least three aspects. The first is protection. I mentioned that Mephibosheth came probably thinking that his life was forfeit. And yet David said, do not fear Though you deserve to die, I will show you my favor. Second is provision. I will restore all the land of Saul to you. And he directs Saul's former servant to now serve Mephibosheth. And by the way, when he says, I'm restoring all the lands of Saul, Saul was the king of Israel. David just made Mephibosheth one of the richest men in all of Israel by restoring the king's lands to him. The first aspect of grace is protection, the second is provision, and the third is position. Position. You shall eat at my table always. David extends to Mephibosheth the place of one of the king's sons, and verse 11 says, and so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. I want you to look now, and lastly, at the striking parallels for us who are in Christ, not those who are still outside the faith looking in, who still have not yet yielded and surrendered their life to Christ, but those who are in Christ. You know, of all the religions of the world, most of them are religions of doing. Doing this and doing that, trying to find acceptance to God by doing. Only in Christianity do we have a religion of being. We are in Christ. And we've been granted this exalted position in Christ. We have been welcomed to the king's table and exalted as sons and daughters of the king of kings. Romans 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so like Mephibosheth, we who were crippled by sin, broken in spirit, enemies of God coming into his presence with nothing to offer him. We're made sons and daughters of the king. Now, I want you to listen to this very carefully because this is nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ in the pages of the Old Testament scriptures. Listen to this. Mephibosheth was blessed by David on account of the worthiness of Jonathan. And we too are blessed by God on account of the worthiness of another. That is the gospel message. We are loved by God as sons and daughters. Why? 
Because the Father made a covenant of love and faithfulness with the Son, a covenant fulfilled at the cross that everyone who would look to Christ in faith would be saved everlastingly. A great covenant of love and faithfulness. Have you done this? Covenant of love and faithfulness has been extended to you. Have you received this great gift? This gift purchased at the cross by the person and work of Jesus Christ? I thought I was a Christian for many years in my life. You know, I, I believed in God. I believed in God all my life that I can remember. I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I believed that Jesus died for the sins of the world. But my understanding was largely an intellectual understanding and an impersonal understanding. It wasn't until I realized that Jesus didn't die just for the sins of the world. He died for my sins. It was my sin that held him to that cross. It was my sin that caused those wounds. The blood that flowed there was because of my sin. And I came to the place where I had to recognize Christ as my Savior, not some global Savior of the world, my Savior. And I had to surrender my life to Christ. If you've not done that, if you're still thinking about the Christian faith only in intellectual terms, and you're one of those people that they, about which they sometimes say, he or she might miss heaven by 18 inches. They might miss heaven by the distance between their head and their heart because they only know the things of God. They've not received them, and the Spirit of God does not dwell in them. A great covenant of love and faithfulness has been extended to you again, you who are outside the faith. Don't let it pass by again. Receive Christ today. So what are we supposed to do with all of this? The picture of the gospel is clear and it's profound. But where's that practical that Chesterton would have looked for? And how does this fit with our theme of becoming stepping stones in the faith? Well, you can find the answer in the question that David asks in the very beginning. He says, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And here's the question for you who purpose to be stepping stones for those who will follow you in the faith. Is there anyone in your life that you need to show kindness to for the sake of Jesus Christ? Is there anyone who you need to extend a covenant of love and faithfulness because the covenant of love and faithfulness has been extended to you? Is there someone out there who's undeserving of that kindness? You were. Is there someone out there who's broken in spirit and so desperately needs a touch of love from someone? Is there something out there with nothing to offer you? Is there someone out there who's even been an enemy to you? Whoever's name the Spirit of God just brought into your mind, I urge you, to extend a covenant of love and faithfulness to them. You know, Chesterton once said that the Bible tells us to love our enemies and love our neighbors because they're probably the same people. 
Who's out there? Who needs to hear from you? Who needs to receive by the power of the Spirit of God living in you an expression of love and kindness because Christ has been so kind and so loving to you? Here again is the biblical wisdom of Chesterton. He said, a dead thing, a dead thing can only go with the stream. Only a living thing can struggle against the stream. We've been made alive in Christ and given the power to struggle against the stream of the culture, to struggle against the stream of our fallen nature, to do that which we are incapable of doing apart from Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet the apostle said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Here then is your opportunity to know the power of the living God this week in your life in a new and practical way. And here is an opportunity to be not only a stepping stone, but a living stone. The Apostle Peter said, as you come to him, meaning Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Be both a stepping stone and a living stone this week by looking for an opportunity to extend the love of God to another for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because a covenant of love and faithfulness has been extended to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this new day that you've given us and this portion of your word, and we pray that you'd speak to us, each one. We pray that the light of Christ would shine in our hearts, that the power of the Spirit within us would give us the strength to go to an enemy, a former enemy, and show them kindness, to go to someone broken in spirit like we were, and show them the love of the living God. To go to someone crippled by sin, someone with nothing to offer us, to show them love and mercy because love and mercy has been extended to us. Help us to do this by the power of your Spirit. Help us to do this to the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. 